1: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with producer Elizabeth Kama and Pittsburgh City Papers Jordana Rosenfeld talking about some stories that are affecting our community. It's Friday, December 9th. I'm Morgan Moody and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. City Papers news reporter Jordana Rosenfeld joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, our first guest. And uh, also City Cast producer Elizabeth Kama. Hello. Hello. Uh, So, Jordana, you've done a lot of reporting on the unhoused in Pittsburgh. Um, If you've been through downtown, the North side and the shore, it's impossible to not notice how many people there are um, living outside. And you've talked to some of the people who are experiencing homelessness here. So what's it been like for them?
0: I had the privilege of being able to talk with several people who are living outside in Pittsburgh, um, all of whom were really open and wanting to share their experience with me. And I think we all know that we treat them poorly, collectively. And I think that there's also a lot of wanting to look away that I have been seeing and feeling in the city as we've been noticing that there are more and more people living outside. There's anxiety and people don't want to look at it because it's hard to look at because it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a huge injustice. It's absolutely wrong. People should not have to pay in order to have dignity in order to have safety in order to have a place to live. Um, And unfortunately, while we do have good systems that help people, Um, the best that they can, they are not at all enough to meet the need that exists. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, the discomfort that we feel noticing that there are people living outside is the entry point into these conversations for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then really quickly, that attention gets redirected somewhere else into kind of something a little bit more abstract or a little bit more like politically expedient.
1: But with you talking to uh, some people in the unhoused community, what are some of the things that they said that they've been, you know, struggling with? Because I know, I mean, we've talked about the issue with public bathrooms in downtown. So,
0: yeah, they said far and away the one of the most difficult things is not being able to wash themselves or their clothes on a regular basis um, because people won't let them in to use the bathrooms, and that was a really you know, a a tough thing to hear, but a thing that I heard over and over again, that nobody downtown will let you use a bathroom. Yeah, we need more public bathrooms
2: downtown, without a doubt. Do we have a big unhoused population here? I mean, and I know we had that encampment, but like, what is the scale of the situation here? I guess, like, are we a place with a lot of unhoused people um, for the city of our size?
0: That's a good question. I did not look at Pittsburgh comparatively to other places. Um, Part of the reason Mm -hmm. is that it's it's really hard to get a clear empirical handle on how many people there are who don't have stable housing around us. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of best numbers, it seems like regionally that we do have, are from the Department of Human Services annual point in time count, Where I think sometime, usually in the late winter, they have a day that they set aside and enlist everybody who's a provider, you know, working with people who are living outside or who don't have homes to count every individual. And the numbers aren't perfect. It's not, you know, the the best numbers from this year are from February. Also, you know, in addition to the the challenges of collecting data in the moment, then that's the, the only number that we have to work with kind of for the whole year. And so as we are wrapping up the year and looking at the winter, it's not clear. We don't have good numbers. But in February, the Department of Human Services found that more people were experiencing homelessness in the area than they were last year. Um, They counted 880 total people who were living in a shelter or were living unsheltered, Um, and There were about 105 individuals that they identified living outside unsheltered.
1: Is that how they base the need for housing um, when this comes around? Because that's essentially I mean, it's not essentially that's winter (laughs) of like last year, basically, because we're approaching a new winter and the same issues are coming up. There could be more people, I guess, um, unhoused. So is that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the number that they use to?
0: That's that's a wonderful question. And that was kind of a misconception that I had when I was going into my reporting that um, folks at the Department of Human Services helped me reframe that actually the resources that we have bear no relation to the size of the need. It doesn't tell mm-hmm. us anything about what is out there, it just tells us what the resources we've been able to marshal collectively. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask them, you know, how many how did you arrive at the number of beds to put in the Second Avenue shelter, which is the new shelter, the low barrier homeless shelter that has just been opened with great fanfare. And it's something that is clearly needed in the area because it's already full. Um, And they basically said, well, it was the number that we could put in the building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the all of the architectural constraints and the financial constraints, you know, it's just the amount that we could make happen, which is real. Um, Another. Useful way to think about the need in relation to the resources I've found is uh, really paying attention to the fact that city and county officials have told us that the vast majority of people who are living outside are already on the wait list for housing, and that's something that as I have also found to be true. I mean, it's not the right thing for everyone. People will, you know, if they don't want to be on the wait list, that's fine. We shouldn't force them to be, you know, to participate in our systems, but.
1: Um, is, is the waitlist something that is, like, beneficial to them? Like, do you move? Because that's not a, you know, houselessness is not a problem that's, like, quickly being solved. So, like, do you move up quickly on the waitlist?
0: There's been a lot of work regionally around consolidating and, like, simplifying the, the access point into homelessness services. And so they, over many years, have created this thing called the Allegheny Link which is the like place where you go in order to access any kind of county subsidized housing, transitional or bridge or rapid rehousing or ultimately supportive housing, which is kind of the, the end goal is to get people into a situation where they have a stable home with a recurring you know, subsidy and support from a community. And, um, but one of the things that I found really surprising that I hadn't heard from anyone else Mm -hmm. when I started talking to people who were living um, by the river this summer, they said, nobody gets housing if you haven't lived outside for a year. Wow. The question that I think we're all asking is like, why is this taking so long? Why do we have people living outside for a year before they can get housing help? Um, Mm -hmm. And there have been like a lot of different answers to that floated. Um, in particular, city council has been talking about needing to increase the transitional housing stock, which is like which is not exactly the same words that the county uses to talk about that kind of housing um, but when I asked uh, Abigail Horn, who is the Director of the Continuum of Care for uh, Homelessness Services in Allegheny County. She said that transitional housing is kicking the can down the road. The problem is we don't have enough private landlords who are willing to accept formerly unhoused Mm. people as clients or as tenants, even though they come with a subsidy, they come with a case manager to, you know, negotiate whatever possible, whatever, any possible issues, but there are not enough landlords who are willing to participate in that. And so that is really what is slowing the process.
1: Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theater have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy
2: whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org.
1: Use code CityCast all one word, for $5 off.
0: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD.
2: I think that, you know, when we're talking about this sort of issue in your article, you mentioned that, like, um, some of the unhoused folks that you spoke to, like, you know, even if they uh, got on the wait list and got to this shelter, they might still have some reservations about staying there. You know, can you tell me about what their um, reservations were?
0: Yeah, um... I spoke with uh, both individuals who were offered some kind of uh, bridge housing or like a program that is meant to help you on your way to get to a a stable housing. Um, Both people who got offers of places to stay there that were kind of jail-like, that had cameras in the hallways, that their parents couldn't come visit them. Mm -hmm. Not all of the places that were sending people who don't have stable housing are homey and hospitable, you know, like right. a lot of those are places that I wouldn't want to live. And I don't think I could, you know, send someone else to live there because I wouldn't want to live there. And that's, you know, a legitimate objection. I think, um, you know, I, I spoke with him who turned down an offer of, of county housing because there were cameras and mm-hmm. his mom couldn't come visit
2: that. Is that the new shelter? I mean, are there, uh, are there like concerns specifically around this new shelter that's supposed to be kind of, a low barrier shelter. It's supposed to be designed to be more accessible and more uh, more people who are on house can come stay there.
0: I, I haven't been to the Second Avenue Commons since it has opened. I haven't talked to anyone who's there. So I don't know what it's, you know, actually like. But mm-hmm. um, from what officials have said um, and in terms of the actual policies of the shelter, it is more progressive. It is more in- inclusive. It allows couples. It allows pets, which a lot of places don't. Um, And so in those ways, like it is really meaningfully more accessible to some people than, you know, regular shelters. However, shelters in and of themselves are not, you know, like lovely, always safe places to be.
1: There's a a lot of there's a lot of crime that that happens inside of shelters. People talk about getting, you know, their things stolen and um sexually assaulted or, or
0: I spoke with people who were assaulted in shelters. I spoke with people who had their things stolen, like you were saying, Morgan. And uh, in particular, I spoke with a person who uh, is gender nonconforming and said that they like always experience harassment and um, always feel unsafe in past experiences with shelters and other kinds of housing because of their gender identity that people are transphobic and homophobic and violent towards them and so that person you know even though the second avenue commons has stated that they want to prioritize serving the lgbtq plus population that person still doesn't feel comfortable going to a shelter and that makes sense that's like an evidence-based rational decision based on their experience
2: that that story really hits my heart because like it's such a painful example of like, okay, we're making something that's supposed to be helpful for people and supposed to help the most vulnerable, but, you know, they don't feel safe in those spaces. And I guess speaking of systems that put people in really vulnerable situations, the Allegheny County Jail has had some recent problems um, kind of come up in the last few weeks.
0: I would not say that there are recent problems that have come up in the last few weeks. I would just say that it's a constant crisis over there and it's a disaster. And the extent, the question is only the extent to which the public finds out about Mm -hmm. how poorly people are being treated there. Um, And that is a horrifying, a horrifying thing.
1: Yeah, I saw a letter that um, some incarcerated people in the jail wrote. They said they were in 3B. Um, The letter was posted to Instagram and to Reddit, but I saw it on Instagram talking about the conditions inside the jail.
2: Yeah. I mean, there were over 60 people who signed the letter saying that they had no heat that weekend wow. and then, uh, that weekend that it was really snowy right before Thanksgiving. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, but yeah, it even got down to 21 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in the pod, like in certain areas.
1: Yeah. In the letter, they the group said that they had to wear double clothing to keep warm. They said they could see their breath in their cells, some of them, because it was so cold. Even their food was coming up um, from the cafeteria, like cold.
0: Yeah, the letter also repeated some of the things that we've heard over and over from the recent Pitt School of Social Work survey about conditions that, that, you know, sometimes there are cockroaches on the trays, there are pebbles in the food, they say, and rats feces, you know, these are recurring complaints that we have about food in the Allegheny County Jail that are showing up here again.
2: Yeah. I mean, that has so many possible health concerns as well. Mm. Um, In a meeting last Thursday, the warden of the jail, Orlando Harper, said that uh, they had since fixed the issue with the heating, um, but it took them like four days after identifying the problem to fix it. Yeah, which is, I feel like, a lot of time to be that cold. Yeah. Yeah, but jail officials said the temperatures didn't really call for moving residents to another area of the prison while they worked, uh, but they all got extra suicide prevention blankets. So Right, I mean, and,
0: and that's part of the problem, too, is that jail officials come and they say that that we decided it wasn't too cold.
1: And what what is what is that based on?
0: Right, when someone says
1: how cold was it, they say we don't have that
0: information with us right now. I could I could get you for next month. I could get you the numbers. We don't have it right now, you know? And so th- we just have to take their word for it. And and their word, you know, it's hardly a word. We just have to trust. They, they just want us to blanket trust them. And there's no reason to do that.
1: Yeah.
0: One of the things that the Jail Oversight Board has been pushing for this year um, is to hire a liaison, a jail liaison, which ideally would be somebody who could go down to the jail and find out, actually, what is the temperature mm-hmm. in there? So that there can be an additional source of information into the conversation beyond the administration and then who will, you know, deny whatever it is, other information that comes out of the jail from any other source.
1: But would that person be working for the jail? Like, would the jail be calling them when it says, oh, we think this temperature is this? Or would it be complaints from inside? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That trigger it. Right.
0: That's a good question. I believe that the liaison position will be supervised by the oversight board and Mm -hmm. is placed within the sheriff's office and the sheriff is not responsible for operating the jail, even though I Mm -hmm. thought he might be in some way. Uh, That is apparently not the case. So they, it does seem like the, there is some independence that has been, you know, they've been considering that in uh, placing the position. Although, you know, it remains to be seen even when somebody will be hired. They've had, you know, a couple dozen applications. I think they might've voted to close the applications yet. Um, But there's, still a process of reviewing and interviewing.
1: Yeah. And you had mentioned there have been uh, endless amounts of issues in Allegheny County jail for years. I actually have a bit of a historical story um, about the jail. I saw this mugshot of the late comedian Richard Pryor on Instagram. Kind of led me down a a little bit of a rabbit hole. Are you a Richard Pryor fan? Are you a, a comedy fan at all?
0: I am. I don't know what the most recent Netflix special that they had of him from the 70s I watched. It, it was very good.
1: Yeah. I have an old album uh, of his, and I don't have a record player, so I, got, I got to <laughs> get that so I can actually listen to it, but I am a Richard Pryor fan. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, this, this picture was from when Pryor was arrested on New Year's Day in the Hill District back in 1963. And this was years before he became, you know, the star that we now know him to be. I Googled it. Um, and it, the only thing that really came up about this story was a um, an article from from Rick Seaback, who naturally is from him, uh, from Pittsburgh Magazine. <laughs> and so that's how I got the scoop um, in the article Rick says he learned about the arrest from a uh, retired Pittsburgh police commander, Ron Freeman, who has since passed away, he passed away in 2017. He collected, like, the this law enforcement, you know, art- artifacts and, like, memorabilia. And one of the things that he had over the years that he saved was this very tiny, like, mugshot. Uh, kind of looks like a like a playing card or something. Uh, probably not the sort of playing card that you want. <laughs> um, of Richard Pryor, and he looks so young. He's got this, you know, baby face, no facial hair, kind of similar to the, like, young pictures of, like, Malcolm X when he still used to, like, relax his hair. And it, <laughs> it kind of it kind of reminded me of that, and it was certainly, like, of that era. Um, anyways, as he was starting his career in comedy, it brought him to Pittsburgh. He was mm-hmm. friends with a woman who uh, sang at some of the clubs here, um... Anyway, so Pryor was making his rounds, you know, emceeing and doing some stand-up at, at small nightclubs in in the Hill, which you know the Hill used to have. I couldn't figure out which club it was, though. I didn't know if it was. Um, I mean, I know there were tons of clubs out there, but I figured if if he had been
2: at the Crawford Grill, maybe they would have said so. But um, yeah, I mean, did he ever talk about like? being arrested here or like, you know, his relationship with Pittsburgh once he got famous. I, unfortunately, I'm like, you and Jordana, I'm a newbie to Richard Pryor. I have not seen um, much of his work. So uh, I don't know. Does he talk about us? Are we name craft? Uh, and you're too young to listen to him, uh, Elizabeth. <laughs> I think you need, you need like 10 more
1: years. This stuff is dirty. Um, but in his book, he actually talks about it. So in his autobiography, it's called Prior Convictions and Other Life Sentences now a book that I, I need to go down to the library to check <laughs> out um because you know Pryor had a pretty he had a pretty rough life um, but mm-hmm. he goes a little bit into the arrest and talks about him possibly being her pimp um at that oh. time yeah and like and physically assaulting her so that's what led to his arrest um Rick Seaback wrote that uh, Pittsburgh you know Pittsburgh's a small town we know that and this woman's father was friends with some police. Yada, yada, yada. He got arrested. Um, He got picked up at the boarding house where he was staying on Wiley Avenue. He was sentenced to 90 days in Allegheny County Jail. While he was there, he played like a numbers game or gambled um, and he won enough money to pay his $70 fine. And he got out in 35 days rather than 90 days. And if that's not Sagittarius luck,
2: I don't know. I don't know what it
1: is. I say that to say his birthday's tomorrow. So, yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday to Richard Pryor. There's a little history.
2: Happy birthday to Richard Pryor. And yeah. I wish only the best for the woman that. Uh, yeah, that I, I Yeah. Maybe
1: maybe that's our maybe that's our follow up. One day we'll find the woman. Yeah. Check in on her. Make sure she's doing all right. Jordana Rosenfeld, thank you so much for joining uh, our News Roundup. Where can people find your reporting at?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. The city paper is available for free, probably anywhere you buy your groceries outside the post office, (laughs) all over the place. Um, And you can also find us online at pghcitypaper.com.
1: That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Mallory Falk, Francesca DeBecco, Elizabeth Kama, Meg Dalton, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji. And we'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. goddamn Mars retrograde in Gemini. I can't talk. I'm sorry.